morning. How are you guys doing? All right. So, um, I'm getting some feedback up here. I'm sorry. <laughs> you good? Are you guys hearing that? It's kind of ringy. No, you're not? Okay. Maybe it's my ears. It could be my ears. <laughs> hey, um, before we get started this morning, I wanted to uh, tell you, uh, first of all, I just want to send out a thank you to Cheryl. Uh, Pastor Cheryl last week brought the, the message, and uh, I had the opportunity to listen to it while we were gone. So while we were gone, we weren't far away, but um, <clears throat> I just think it is a gift to have someone that can take something, uh, some of the complexities of God's word and kind of synthesize them down into something really, really basic and simple that we can all grab a hold of. Amen? And I just thought she did that with that idea of, it's good to know that there's just one sin we have to pay attention to, amen? <laughs> I mean, that was good to hear. And it was so right. It was so right. If you haven't had the opportunity to, to listen to that message, it was fantastic. Um, also, every time that I'm gone, uh, I, I go away and I am so thankful for both the staff that we have at this church, at Christ Church, and for the teams of volunteers that show up. Um, there are so many things that people could be doing on a Sunday morning, and you guys know that, uh, but these are the people that show up every week, and they pour themselves out in order to do what? In order to serve you guys. And they wanna serve you guys so that we can continue to develop and continue to be what God has called us to be, and to be that compassionate, Christian community that God has called us to be. Because we know, you know, we had this uh, over the summer, we had this kind of all in kind of campaign thing. We're getting out there and we want to keep that language with us. But it's not just about each of us individually being all in. If we're going to do this thing that God has called us to, we're going to all have to be in as well. Because God calls us to be a church, to be a community, not just to be a, a certain small group and then a bunch of other people just kind of along for the ride. Um, there's a lot of work to be done to be that compassionate Christian community that God calls us to be. And so as we make announcements and as we kind of make these appeals for being a part of these teams, I'd encourage you guys to really search your heart. If God has called you here, he has called you to be here to be involved and to be involved in the people that are in this place and to be involved in this community that we're a part of, that we reach beyond this place in order to impact them with the, with the love of Jesus. So... Um, just want to put that out there. Thank you to Cheryl. Thank you for the staff. Thank you uh, to the teams uh, that make this happen every, every week. Um, this past week, uh, Carrie and I, we had the opportunity to go back and, uh, to Wisconsin to be with our daughter and her family and to spend some time there. So I thank you for that. Also, just that ability to, to do that. Um, the truth is, is that our, all of our kids are back in the Midwest. And so we have uh, one who's in Wisconsin and two that are down in Missouri. Uh, we have two that are married, so we have two in-law, you know, a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law who we also love uh, very much. And we have two grandkids uh, with uh, the, really in the near future probably expanding that as well. And so um, there is a lot of like uh, mass out in the Midwest for us. It has this gravity that kind of pulls us out that way, as you guys can imagine. And... Um, for those of you who are hearing that, some people might come up to us and they'd, they'd say, then what in the world are you doing here, right? <laughs> because this is, we find every time we drive this, this is a long way from the Midwest. And, and uh, I, 
in answering that question, I would really have to just say, you know, there's one thing that's a pull that's stronger in our lives than many of the other things, and that is God called us here. And one thing that Carrie and I have found over the years that we've been together and that we've been in this ministry, but more than that, that we've been in this walk with Jesus, one of the things that we have found is that um, not only do we trust God's call, but more importantly, we trust the one who is calling, right? Because a lot of times we'll look at the call and we'll go, that doesn't look like anywhere necessarily I want to be, or that looks like a long distance from where my heart wants to be, and yet we'll go there because we trust the God who's calling. This morning, uh, the section of James that we're looking at, we're looking at this idea of trust, but also we're looking at who is this one who we're supposed to be trusting? Why would we trust this God? So as we stand together to hear God's word, uh, let's turn to James 1, 16 to 18. James 1, 16 to 18, as we talk about who is this one that we're called to trust? James 1, 16 to 18, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creation. You know, the first week in this series, what we looked at, we said, we said what is that, that, what does it take to become and what does it look like, that final version of ourselves that God desires for us to be? What does that mean? And we think of perfection sometimes as some kind of moral perfection, but I think there's more than that. And today we're gonna look at what is it that final, what is that final um, version, that mature, completed version? What does it mean to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? Because I think it's attainable, I think it's livable, Today's message is, is titled, The Final Draft. Amen? Father, this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our ears to hear, that you would open our hearts to understand what it is that you are calling us to and who it is who is calling us. God, we want to know you. The more that we get to know you, the more that we're not only intrigued by you, but we are, we are captured by who you are. Our imaginations are filled, our hearts are filled, and we're drawn closer and closer in. The more and more that we find that we can put away our fears and our doubts and our hesitations, and we find out how good you are, how much you love us, how hard you work on our behalf. Father, we, we see this in who you are and all that you've done in creation. We see this in Jesus, in who you are and all you've done in your death and your resurrection. We see this Holy Spirit in all that you are and on all that you do constantly as you draw us, you move us, you shape us, you speak to us and you call us closer to you. So Father, we ask that your spirit would be here in this place and fill it that we might hear from you. Wherever we are, we might hear your voice. We might hear your call and your words. And we might meet the one, not just hear the call, but meet the one calling. We pray these things 
In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. You can have a seat. You know, uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, we lived outside uh, in the suburbs outside of Chicago, and there was a lot going on in the late 60s outside of Chicago. There was a lot going on throughout the country in the late 60s, and so there was upheaval socially, and some of that came into play in some of the stories that I lived out, including this one, even though I didn't know it at the time, but all uh, really, I, I remembered uh, this story. I had a friend when I was in elementary school, and I'm not going to use his real name because it's not that flattering of a story. We're just going to call him Sam. Um, but Sam and I would do everything together. Uh, we would show up in school. We were in the same class. We would hang out at recess together. We'd try and get on the same teams when we were in, in gym. We would uh, hang out. We'd walk to school together. We'd walk home from school together. We got in all kinds of trouble together. Um, we, would, we went and we'd explore. We had this neighborhood forest, and I use forest kind of in quotes because it was really a stand of about 40 feet wide of trees that stood between several backyards in the neighborhood. But to us, this was this dark, mysterious forest that we would spend many hours exploring. We would build forts together in the summer. We'd build snow forts together in the winter. So Sam and I were tight. We were close. I thought he was my friend. So you can imagine when Sam called me over one day at lunchtime as I was making my way to lunchtime, and he said he called me over because he wanted to tell me a joke. And so I was looking forward again. I mean, there had been times we had been kicked out of class because we were talking and laughing so loud, and then we just got kicked into the hallway, and we just kept continued to talk and laugh just as loud. But I was looking forward to hearing this gut buster from Sam, and again, finding myself laughing on the floor in the hallway and so you can imagine my, my disappointment, my shock, really. When he called me over, he draws me close, and then he punches me as hard as he can right in the gut. And so I find myself on the floor. I'm not laughing, right? I'm just gasping, trying to breathe. And all of a sudden, the class is let out, and all the kids start making their way down. And I look up at Sam, and he just kind of looks at me, and he turns and he walks away, kind of like, I just wanted to see what that felt like. Now, needless to say, my friendship with Sam was never the same, right? There was something about that exchange. There's somewhere in that exchange that there was a bit of trust on my part that was lost. And I know that some of you guys have been in those situations, right? Where you just blindsided by something that you absolutely didn't expect from someone you thought was your friend. Now, why do I tell that story? Because I really believe that there are many people, there are many people maybe in this room, there are many people that are at home that we see God and we have a view of God as if he is just like Sam. Some of you guys feel like you've gone through an event in your life where God drew you near, he drew you into a, a friendship and then he just sucker punched you and left you reeling. It may have been that you, you lost a loved one unexpectedly. It may have been that you lost a job unexpectedly. It may have been that a friend actually did betray you. It may have been some kind of just, it may have been a diagnosis, a diagnosis that you received that you, you didn't see it coming and you just feel like all of a sudden all that you thought you knew about God just goes out the window and you're not sure you can trust him anymore. 
Some of you guys haven't gone through that experience, but you've heard other people tell about how God does this kind of thing all the time. And so you're kind of going through your life just saying, I know it's coming. I know he's gonna draw me in near. I know it's coming because that's what God does. And you're just waiting for that punch in the gut. You know, it's just a matter of time. Some of you even might hold to a theology that says, you know what, that's, God does that all the time. That's part of how he tells us he loves us. I mean, look at how he treated his own son. He just beat the tar out of him. That's who our God is. You know what James has to say about that? Because it ends up that even 2,000 years ago, people were thinking the same thoughts. They had the same concerns and questions about who was this God. They were going through hard times and they're going, is this the sucker punch that God does? Is this just what he does? Is this what we can expect from him? And James, what does he have to say to him? James says, if you believe any of that, you're believing a lie. You're being deceived. You're being deceived. You think you know God, but you don't. You think you know who this God is. You're doing what Pastor Cheryl talked about. You're just in kind of a version of that where you take the true God and you've replaced him with this other one that you've kind of made up. Now, Cheryl last week was talking about how we replace him with things that are more appealing sometimes to us, right? They're things that draw us off and we put up this idol. That's not quite who God is. Idols don't always have to be the benevolent kind of um, benefit to our lives. Sometimes we believe that God is actually out there and we replace the true God with this capricious, brutal, kind of um, self-absorbed, self-centered, really just a larger, more powerful version of our own broken selves. We say, that's who our God is. And James says, that's a lie. And so he starts out this section and he says, do not be deceived. My beloved Brothers and sisters. Now, why does he say my beloved brothers and sisters? Sometimes we read that and we think he's just kind of in the trenches with us and he wants us to know that he's there with us, that James is there and he loves us a lot. He wanted his audience to know that he loved them. And some of that might be there, but I think he's going further than that with this one. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters who are beloved by God. Beloved, the God who would give his own life for you, beloved by God. Don't be deceived. That's not who our God is. He wouldn't do that. He would never do that to you. He would never do that to the one that he loves. This phrase, do not be deceived, you find that it's between two other sets of verses, and they're really two stories that kind of, um, it's, it's like a, a sandwich, and right in the middle you have this, do not be deceived about any of this that I'm gonna tell you about. And in front of it is verses 13 to 15, and in those he's talking about 
about what we heard about last week, about where sin actually does come from, about where this brokenness actually does come from, and that it doesn't come from God. It comes from our own decisions, our own choices to put something out there in front of God or besides God or some different God out there and to follow that, some other plan other than his. That's where the brokenness comes from. And then he follows it with 17 through 18 where he talks about, he says, this is what actually comes from God consistently, relentlessly, without changing. He says, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to not be deceived about. So the first part, he talks about us, how we're lured into um, choosing something other than God, choosing something other than God's plan, thinking that it's gonna be good for our lives, but it's really driven by our own desires, what we want, something that we want, even a desire that's not right, that's not right before God. Things like what we talked about a few weeks ago about jealousy and, and our selfish ambition. I want this thing, so I'm gonna pursue this thing. And so we're drawn in by our own desires and it says, then we hatch this plan that is outside of God's plan of how we're gonna get there because it's not God's, it's not God's goal and so we're gonna have to hatch a plan that's our own plan of how to get there and this plan is called sin of how we're gonna do something God's never intended us for, never called us to, we're gonna do that to get to this goal that we have. We're drawn in by our desires. It, we give birth to this plan, and then with this plan comes to maturity. What does it bring forth? He says it brings forth death every single time. Death and destruction, emptiness. So, so it may be that we, you know, we don't feel that our reputation is quite as much as, as we want it to be. So we say, how am I going to improve my reputation, my status in this community or in this workplace or in this group that I'm a part of? I'm going to improve my status, but I think what I'll do is I'll take down the status of others. So we take those other people, we target those ones who are, are our competition or who are our enemies, and we say, I'm going to I'm gonna chop, I'm gonna chop their knees out from under them because in lowering them down, maybe that'll increase mine. But all that we find out is all that comes of it is, is death. Death on the inside of us, death on the outside. As we look around the relationship, we, we feel slighted by others. So we say, well, I'm gonna slight them too. And I'm just gonna level the playing field. And we find out what comes from that. This, this plan that was never God's, death. Death for them, death for us brings death to our relationships, it brings ruined opportunities. <clears throat> Some of you guys out there, you, you don't feel powerful in your place of, of work. You don't feel powerful in your life, in your relationships. You don't feel um, that you have the kind of influence in this current season of your life. So what do you do? Well, you start treating those others around you. You start over kind of overreacting to that. And you start treating, mistreating those around you. You may start mistreating and belittling your wife. You might start belittling your children. If you're not married, you belittle your girlfriend. You might even start knocking them around a bit physically. And you do this so that you can hopefully feel empowered. But instead of the empowerment you hope for, what do you end up with? You end up with this emptiness and this guilt, this shame inside because you know you're not being the person that you're called to be by God and you end up with death and destruction all around you. Your relationships, those, those, those people that were meant to bring life to you, instead they just become empty. Why? Because you believed a lie. 
You believe that somehow you could take, you could put into practice some plan that wasn't from God and it would bring good to your life and it'll never happen. Some of you, you ladies are out there and you don't feel maybe that you've attained to that kind of fullness that, that you've always um, knew that you was meant for you, that you were created for something important or for impact in people's lives and you don't feel like you have that kind of fulfillment in your life. And so maybe you go out and you're, you're trying to fill it with, with things. Maybe you're trying to gather things to yourself and so you're out kind of gathering stuff around you, you're gathering people around you, you're making yourself busy to try and prove your own importance and instead what do you end up with you end up with this growing and gnawing emptiness that just continues to grow and grow why because you too you've believed a lie and you find out that all that happens is this emptiness keeps growing within you because you're not following the plan you're not you're not finding out what God has called you to instead you're trying to find a way to fill it by your on your own terms. You're trying to find a way that, that fills it and, and that fills that void and you find that it just destroys the lives around you as well in those relationships and we end up with death. It's, it's relational death, it's emotional death, it's even spiritual death because when we find ourselves in that place, we find that this gap that between us and God just grows and grows and grows. Why? Because we know that those things, those terrible decisions that we're making and the terrible outcome that they are having both on us and those around us and the terrible seeds that we're sowing for the future for our children and their children and anyone that is downstream from us separates us from God and inrushes the guilt and the shame knowing that all that is because of what we have done and separates us from our God. He says, <laughs> we are lured in by our desires we give birth to sin, and then sin gives birth to death every time. And James tells us, so don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived at thinking somehow God has given you that plan that he, never, that he never gave you. Don't be deceived thinking that somehow God uses this. Don't be deceived because God never is tempted by Destruction. God is never tempted to use destruction in your life. God doesn't think that somehow that some sucker punch in your stomach is going to teach you a lesson, so he's going to give it to you. God doesn't do that. God doesn't think that somehow your good is going to come from evil. He's not tempted the way we are. So he says, don't think that he is the one bringing this stuff in. Know where it comes from. Don't be deceived. On the other side of this phrase, on the other side of this line, James says, he, he talks about who God truly is. He says, don't be deceived because this is who God is. He is the one who gives every good thing and every perfect, complete gift that is in our life, it came from God. Doesn't matter where it looked like it came from, it has come from God. It was either a part of creation that he wove in that we might be blessed through this creation. It may be completely circumnavigating. It might be through our relationships. It might be just from his hand alone. But every good thing we have comes from him. And that doesn't change. In, in 1 John 1.5, Jesus had a disciple, John, and he would put it this way. He said, know this, this is the message that we have heard from him. From Jesus. He said, as we watched his life and we heard his teaching, this is what we heard clearly, and we announce it to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. 
Now, does that mean that God doesn't do things that we don't like? No, there's sometimes because we like our sin sometimes. We like our plans. But God will never use evil. God will never sucker punch us. God will never lead us down a bad road that we might get to a good road. He is always, there is light. There is no darkness at all. James would put it this way. In him, there's no variation. There's no shadow that shifts. You don't have to worry that you're gonna wake up one day and something slightly shifted in your relationship with him so you can't trust him anymore. So that is not who God is. In fact, he says, if you wanna know how committed God is to your good, look at what he did when he actually exercised his will. When, when you look at all of history and you say, what was God pointing to? What was God always reinforcing and always make sure? I mean, there are many things that went wrong in this world, but the one thing that God said, I'm going to make sure this happens, he says, I'm gonna make sure that, they, that I save them. I'm going to make sure that they are birthed anew by the word of truth, not by lies, not by deceit, but by the word of truth. They're going to be birthed anew and they're gonna become like this first wave of my creation, right? This, this first wave of my kingdom coming in. People are gonna see there's something different going on in them because they have been transformed. They've been changed. They've been taken out of this world that's corrupt that's and, and, and decaying and dying and they're gonna be brought into life. So our desires lead to sin and gives birth to death. God's desire, his one desire, his one thing that he's been aiming at since the beginning of time leads to us being birthed into life. You have these two birth stories on either side of this. Do not be deceived. You can either give birth through sin to death or you can trust what God's doing, that he is giving birth to life through his word of truth. You know, one of the things that we miss about who God is, that James is trying to get, if you understand what he's saying, if you understand what he's kind of zeroing in on, he's saying, do you understand that at any moment in your life, even when it feels like you're being sucker punched, (laughs) at any moment in your life, even when you've made the most boneheaded decision in your life, even when you're under just mounds of guilt and shame because of what you've done or who you are, and even when you feel like you don't amount to anything, that you're just worthless and that if you went away, nobody would. Do you know that at every point in your life, God is at work to get you from that point, wherever you are, to that amazing place that he intended you to be from the beginning of time? As his child, as one who represents him as one who reflects him in all his glory and his fullness. God is always, and and if you move to the next bad spot, he moves with you and he says, I'm gonna get you from here to that place. And then you make another boneheaded move. I, I do this all the time. I go on a whole series, a whole tour of boneheaded decisions and moves. And I find myself and I think I'm so far from God, he's probably over here waiting for me to get back to him. And no, he's right there and he says, you know what your next step can be? It can be towards this this amazing place that I created you for. The thing that I called you to. Just please, just listen, just follow, just trust me. Walk with me. King David of Israel, he said it this way in Psalm 23. He said, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm like his sheep. The Lord's my shepherd. And because of that, I know that I have need of nothing. 
I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna have to figure it out on my own at all. The Lord is my shepherd. His intent, his intention always is to bring me to green pastures and still waters. Why? Because that's what shepherds do. So even if I walk in the valley of the deepest darkness I have ever known, I will fear no evil because I know he is the one who's with me. And that, that club, that war club that he holds in his right hand and that big stick he holds in his left hand, I know that I don't have to fear those because they're not meant for my harm. They're not gonna whack me over the head. Those are for my protection. Those are for him to reach and to guide me, to, to pull me back in line so that I'll, I'll get back online with where he's going because he wants to bring me to those green pastures and still waters. In fact, I know that I wouldn't even be in this dark, dark valley if this wasn't the best route to get from where I was to where he wants me to be because that's his heart. That's the Lord, my shepherd. And I have need of nothing. So James says, don't be deceived. God doesn't change. You know, we may be punched in this world. We may get ourselves into trouble. God is always working to get us out. Always. He's always working to get us out and to get us to the best place that we could be, the best place possible, not just for this life, but even into eternity. Why is that important for us to know that? Why is it important for us not to be deceived about that? It's because of this. Because our belief in God is, first of all, what is the foundation for every decision that we make in this life. What we believe about God is what drives every decision we make in this life. Often, we choose sin. We choose something other than what God wants us to do. God says, don't lie. We say, I got to lie. God says, don't manipulate and don't use people. We say, I got to, because otherwise, how am I going to get ahead? God says, don't, don't try and, and cheat in these ways and rob people of stuff that really belongs to them. And he's like, yeah, but if I don't do that, they don't deserve it, and I really do. And, and we, we, we choose these things because we don't, we don't really believe the intentions behind God's instructions, right? We don't believe the heart that drives what he tells us to do. We think that somehow God is telling us to do things because he wants to somehow rob us of some kind of fun or some kind of advantage in our life or he wants to make life miserable. He wants to make us look stupid. He wants to draw us in and he wants to sucker punch us. We really, that's what we think is going on in this relationship with God. And James is saying, don't be deceived. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't call you to do something that wasn't your next best step to getting to the best place you could ever find yourself. The way he describes it is a place that we can't even imagine what it's like. We can't even imagine the goodness because of how this new world is coming in and to be a part, to be that final copy of ourselves, that intended thing that God desired us to be that so reflects his glory and his goodness. We can't even imagine ourselves that way. But he says, you have to trust me if you're, going to, if you're going to follow, if you're going to make decisions based on what I've said and not based on your own worst fears, your own best thinking, right? Again, from 1 John, 1 John 2, chapter 2, verse 3, John writes, by this we will know that we have come to know him 
that we've truly come to know him, we've come to know his intentions, his heart, his character, is when we keep his commandments. We, we can tell that we really know who he is when we start following what he says because we trust why he would say it, right? The second reason it's important for us to know is because of the, our belief, our, our misbeliefs about who God is are where our greatest fears and anxieties come from. That's where all of our fears and anxieties come from is because we, we misunderstand, we don't believe what God has said about himself. When we feel failure, when we fear failure, it's because while we believe that God could He has the power to be able to help us either avoid that or to overcome it in our lives. We're not sure that he will, right? We know that he can, we're just not sure that he wants to. And James says, don't be deceived. Of course he does. That's why he's asking you to do what he's asking you to do because he wants to see, he is rescuing, he is always bringing us out of the muck and the mire. He's not throwing us in it. We live in an anxious age because we live in an age who has been deceived about who God really is and about what his heart is. And we're not following him anymore. We live in an anxious people because we're people that don't, we don't trust God's heart and his intentions behind those instructions. All of our fears, all of our anxieties come out of this because we don't believe who God is. When the fact is, is they're given a chance to show how he truly felt about us. He didn't gather a bunch of angels and come down in all their glory and all their righteousness and all their holiness and wipe us out, which he could have done. He, you know, a lot of times I, I look at my own life, I'm like, you, you would be absolutely justified in doing something like that. But instead, what does he do? Jesus comes. And he gives up his own life and he hangs on a cross. He takes the worst that the world has to dish out and he just absorbs it into himself. He takes it so that he would be the sacrifice that would what? Begin to break that cycle, begin to give us a, give us a, a pathway, a glimpse of what is the other way that we can go at this. And he shows us that even death cannot stop this plan that God has for those who will walk with him and he shows us this clear picture of the unchanging heart of God so that we would no longer be deceived about who God truly is. Third, why is this important? Because James says that to know who God truly is allows us to pray. Allows us to pray. It allows us to pray and allows us to pray with power. Now, it doesn't allow us to ask God to make this world something it never can be, because this world will never be heaven, right? This will never be the, the, the world of righteousness. With it. No matter how hard we work, it's not, this world is broken, and it's going away. He's not going to answer that prayer. He's not going to answer the prayer where we ask God to get behind our ideas and our plans to make life good for us and bad for everybody else. He's not going to get behind that plan. So it's not just pray anything you want, but James says when we really truly believe, when we know God and we trust him, we start praying the things that he wants, not just the things that we want. He says, then you see that your prayers become powerful. In, later in James, it says, he writes that the prayer of a righteous person will accomplish great things. 
And you say, well, what does it mean to be a righteous person? Well, it means, it means that you've become that kind of mature, that, that, final, that final draft, that final version of what God intended you to be. And you're like, so I'm holy, so I'm, I'm doing everything right? No. You know what it means? It means you're walking in the wisdom of God, not your own. It means that you're walking in this complete trust of who God is and you're following the best that you can to follow what he has set out in front of you to do and to be. It means that you become like his child. That you have become this one that just says, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try and navigate this life as if you're against me. I'm not gonna try and navigate this life as if I gotta figure it out on my own. Instead, I'm gonna lean, lean on you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going, that I, I believe who you are. I believe that your intentions for me are only the best. And so, I will trust what you tell me to do and I'll do it. That's the best version of ourselves. I will, I will trust that you have the power to overcome even the worst that this evil that this world has to give. And that you are not just with me in it, but you are for me in the midst of it. That when this world gives a sucker punch that you have told me that you will take the brunt of it and you have taken the brunt of it for me and you will continue to walk with me through it and you will make sure I get out the other side, not just unscathed. We didn't see Jesus just get through the, the crucifixion unscathed. You saw him go through with all of his brutality, but you saw him rise in glory, right? In a glory that couldn't even be imagined prior to him rising from the dead so that when he, I trust that he will overcome that evil. And so I'll, I'll, I will continue to trust him when he instructs me. I won't fear when he instructs me and that I will trust that I'm here for a reason, that I am here to reflect the very power and to be that first fruits, that first wave of this new kingdom. So I'll pray. I will pray. I will pray in the power that God intended me to, to put into motion to see this world change, to see those lives around me change, to see this community change, to see it all caught up and drawn into that invitation that God has given to be a part of his kingdom, but to be a part of his life, to be a part of this, this kingdom that he is bringing in. According to James, that's God's final draft. That's God's intention in your life. We are aiming at perfection, but we're trying to do that on our own. He says, no, this is about you just trusting me, you following me. Just do what I say, not because you're trying to earn my love. You already have it. Do what I say because you trust that what I've said is bringing you and bringing in this plan, bringing in the glory and the goodness of God. That that's where goodness is found. That's where peace and rest and hope is found, that we might be this, this first wave, this first fruits of this new creation, a creation in which there is no more deceit, right? There's no more sorrow. There's no more sickness. There's no more sin. There's no more death. Amen?